Hello and welcome to the Eurowood, episode number 67 for the week of December 2nd, 2019. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be catching up on a lot of news. How's it going, Ben? Ah, uh, it's good. How was your Thanksgiving, Mike? It was good. Yeah, uh, did a little bit of travel and uh, yeah, also moving into a new place. So if my audio sounds a little weird, I am in a closet right now, uh, just trying to see how that setup is going to work. So, <laughs> But yeah, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Uh, saw the family, had some turkey, uh, did my normal post-Thanksgiving viewing of The Sound of Music, which from having scanned our, our list seems like it's just a lot of really good prep for this week's episode. Spoiler for what's ahead, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though it was kind of a short week for us here in the U.S., there was a lot of stuff that happened uh, since we last recorded. Uh, the first item was that uh, they released the artwork for next year's contest. I liked it a lot. Like I saw it just pop up randomly on Facebook. I was like, oh, we have a logo. This year's design, it's kind of a sort of a pie chart setup where uh, each segment is a year of the contest of, of its 65 year history. And if there's a wedge there, that means a country debuted. And there's a little bit of color there to match the flag of the countries that debuted that year. So it's not quite a full pie chart because there were some years where there were no new countries. But um, yeah, it's just kind of a... I don't know how how would you describe it? I kept describing it as like a compass almost. Mm, yeah, that but makes yeah, just a lot like of sense. but it's it's nice, it's circular, it pairs well with the open up theme, I thought, just because it's like here is when everybody joined. This is this is the spirit of joining us and and joining together for Eurovision here in Rotterdam. As a data nerd, I like that this was something that was partially data driven, at least looking through the uh design firm's brief of of what they thought when they did this. Mm. But that's just me. I'm just like, ooh, yeah. statistics. For me, like looking at it from like just a design aspect, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like it, it, at first glance, it kind of reminded me of like an airline logo from the 1980s or like maybe like a phone company. Like it, it looks like something that MCI or some other phone company that no longer exists would have used back in the day. They did also release some photos of what the logo would look like on like t-shirts and scarves. And it makes a little bit more sense in that context. Oh yeah, no, like I, I kind of want to get one of the one of the mocked up tote bags they have because it's like it's a very it's very clean, it's very colorful. It is a logo that kind of breaks down well into component parts so they can figure out ways to stretch it across lots of different surfaces of different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be one of those things where like on Instagram, that might be why I'm having a difficult time like not seeing it as like a corporate logo, but seeing it on a physical object is going to make a huge difference. I also want to see if they extend this at all into how they display country flags Mm -hmm. next year, because it feels like something that they could definitely play around with either from like a time scale perspective or just from using the colors of the flags in that way. I don't know. There's there's lots of potential. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good indication that the postcards are going to look really nifty in 2020. Mm -hmm. So excited about that. The other major news is just like a bunch of artist announcements. Mm-hmm. Cyprus have announced that Sandro Nicholas is in fact going to be their artist. He had been rumored for a little bit and it was and looking through the details of that, like apparently he was potentially going to be part of whatever Germany is doing. Uh, and Cyprus was like, no, we would like to we would like to pick you as our artist. Yoink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, it, uh, and, it, and in 
in the course of my research on this type Sandra Nicholas with a CH uh, and had to c- tell Google that no, I did not mean Grand Duke Alexander Mikhailovich of Russia, who apparently uh, had some sort of nickname level that that gets to Sandra Nicholas. Hmm. Uh, that that was not helpful. Uh, once I corrected my spelling, and also said no, I want the singer. Uh, found out that he is a Greek American singer who is currently living in Germany. Uh, he was on The Voice of Germany 2018 and got to the quarterfinals. And the piece that seems the most relevant for for pre Eurovision stuff, since we have a lot of Voice alumni, uh, is that he participated in the 2019 New Wave Festival which is a, a festival that was in Sochi. Uh, and past Eurovision alumni of that have included Doritos from Moldova a few years ago and Jamala from Ukraine. Have you seen the clips? I watched a couple of the clips, and the thing that caught my attention was that he was representing the U.S. at the New Wave Festival. Yes, I, I do not understand that. I need to dig into that more. But yeah, he was representing the U.S. Because again, like he is Greek-American. He's living in Germany. He had like, a lot of different countries he could potentially be representing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he even has uh, an American flag tattoo. So I, I guess we should be paying extra attention to him since it's just like, oh, that's our demo, I guess. <laughs> but, I, I, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I watched the performances and, like, I kept looking on YouTube and finding, like, another one and somehow the wardrobe was worse. Mm. The singing is good. The songs are kind of whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's very telegenic. And mm-hmm. uh, I think if he's paired with the right song, it'll, it'll catch some attention. But yeah, the, the yeah. clips of the songs were just like, ooh, it, there was just one that just meandered. And was just, I right. think just the combo of the songs and just kind of the general styling, uh, the word that came to my brain, it was was himbo. Huh. Okay. Yeah alternately like and the one where i'm like okay i one i have no experience with this so this could be completely wrong but just feel like this is the one chip and dale's dancer that has a decent enough voice so they let him do a song wow okay yeah uh- <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm just it's it's very bland it's very bland yeah yeah but i don't know cypress has been making a lot of good choices the last few years so they have yeah well and i also feel like they looked at what switzerland did last year because yeah, I think that they used the same production company to do both Tomta and Lukahani and kind of had the same staging almost. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, so it was the same choreographer. Just, so. Yeah, the same choreographer. And I feel like Cyprus just took a look at them like, we would like a slice of that, please. Yeah. And then uh, Bulgaria also announced their artist. Uh, they are going with Victoria. Emphasis ours because her name is always presented in all caps. Yes, Victoria Georgieva was a contestant on Bulgaria's X Factor in 2015. Uh, she finished in sixth place. But um, yeah, that is the same season that uh, Christian Kostov, uh, who represented Bulgaria in 2017, he competed on that season and was the runner-up. So it could be a very strong X-Factor crop from 2015 that uh, Bulgaria is going to tap into. It was a good year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She does have one track on Spotify at the moment. Uh, It's unclear if that's going to be her Eurovision entry uh officially uh, bulgaria is not planning on announcing the song until march so it'll probably be something different and uh she uh had a couple of interviews where she said that she would like a mixture of bulgarian and english for the entry so yeah uh tbd on all of that but Mm -hmm. bulgaria is back and they're already making moves yeah, and like one thing I read in their their whole press release around them coming back was that they wanted to use this as a platform for Bulgarian artists to kind of get a get like a step up to a more global profile 
And that definitely seems to fit with the artist they've chosen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like it it doesn't seem like winning is necessarily the goal. But if that happens, we'll see if it happens. So yeah, if it happens, it seems like they're probably fine with that. The news I was excited about was last Tuesday, we finally got the artists for the Melfest. There are a surprising amount of returning names, which Mm -hmm. surprises me in some ways and also doesn't in others because you do see the same group of artists who know that this is the platform they want to choose. But we have Eurovision alumni. Uh, Specifically, we have Victor Krohn, who was Estonia's representative this year, uh, popping up in Sweden next year. Uh, So I guess that's fine. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not pleased with that one. Oh, really? No, I'm. Well, I feel like a few years ago, uh, Krista Siegfrieds, who represented Finland, then popped up at the Swedish final and placed seventh, which I thought was unfair at the time because her song was great. But you just did Eurovision, dude. Sit down for a year. Yeah. (laughs) If he has a good song, I think it can work. I think he was kind of a surprise at this year's contest. And I mean, as long as there's not like terrible green screen, I'm fine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now that he's had the experience of competing on that stage, the performances might go a little bit more smoothly. Like maybe you you could tell that there were nerves on that stage uh, in Mm -hmm. uh, all of his performances, but I think it'll be fun to see him. Uh, at Melfest. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the alumni category, we have the Mamas, who were the backing singers for Sweden's entry this year, which I'm kind of excited about that one. I like them mm-hmm. a lot. Roman Bengtsson, I don't know, like, you, you already represented Sweden again. In fairness, so did Anna Bergendahl, but Anna Bergendahl has, like, the, the distinction of being the one time Sweden didn't go through to the final, and I kind of liked her song last year. Yeah. I do find it kind of weird that alumni would compete at Melfest again. Although I, I guess mm-hmm. I think this is just like not having firsthand knowledge of how strong a presence Melfest is in Swedish culture that mm-hmm. like may- maybe it's not a strange thing at all, but it feels like, oh, well, you've already done this. Let, let somebody mm-hmm. else have a chance. But... Exactly. Like, because you have like a bunch of people who have done Melfest in the past years also participating in Melfest next year. Like you have Hannah Femme who has done, who has been there a few years. You mm-hmm. have Anistone Demina, uh, you have Mahombi, who made it to the finals of Melfest last year. And you have Mello Preet, who I'm super excited to see back. Oh, I'm so glad she's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on one hand, I, I'm excited to see her back there. On the other hand, I'm like, why just let her have an actual pop career. But yeah, and then like looking at even further down the list, you have other groups who have been there. So Felix Sandman, who is currently the bookie's favorite, although I think that's just because he did very well a couple years ago, mm-hmm. has a song called Boys with Emotions, I believe. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like, on the I, nose. Uh. <laughs> yeah, just, just right there. Just bang. Um, uh, Mariette is going to be back, which excites me. Oh, I'm so excited about that. She always, yeah, she brings good stuff. And like, she's been on the, on like the jury side of things a few times when she hasn't actually won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dalter, who I think may have been in last year's as well, or at least sometime in the last couple of years. So lots of returning faces, plus some new ones. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Mariette's the one that I'm most excited about because she she keeps popping up in the Spotify generated playlists, and it's like, oh, who is this? And I look, and it's like, oh, Mariette. Oh, awesome. And yeah, she just keep all of her tracks just keep getting added to my liked song. Melfest is scheduled to start at the beginning of February, so. Let's see. Australian Decides Contest uh, has announced two more artists. One is Mitch Tambo, 
who is a artist uh, that combines uh, First Nations instrumentation with modern beats. He was a contestant on Australia's Got Talent uh, earlier this year, and he made Nicole Scherzinger cry. Uh, that was not his talent. His talent was actually singing. Uh, <laughs> I'm, but, just, I'm just thinking, so the, the list of people who have made Nicole Scherzinger cry on live television. So Mitch Tambo and Thingamajig. <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> I was not expecting that. Uh, he was, uh, per- uh performing one of his tracks, uh, from an album he released in 2018 and also, uh, playing the didgeridoo, which made me realize just how Australia's entries have not really included any sort of instrumentation that makes you think, oh yeah, this is definitely Australian. So I'm mm-hmm. very excited about this possibility. Oh yeah, no, of of the four artists that have been revealed for this year, he is the one I'm most excited about purely because of that First Nations connection. And mm-hmm. also I did not watch the clip where he made Nicole Scherzinger cry, but I did watch a different Australia's Got Talent clip mm-hmm. and I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he he has a charisma about him, so uh, excited to see what he brings uh, to the process. And then the other artist uh, that was announced uh, was Iota. Uh, his given name is Sean Hape. Uh, he is a singer, songwriter, actor. Uh, he won a Best Male Actor in a Musical for his role in Hedwig and the Angry Inch in 2007. Uh, he is probably best known in the States as the guy who was playing the flamethrower guitar in Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. I saw that movie, and in trying to find clips of him pre-show, I definitely rewatched a clip of that and was like, if you say that's him, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, I, I think more people remember the flamethrower guitar from that scene, so... <laughs> yes, I definitely did. Yeah, there should be more announcements as we get uh, closer to Australia's process. I think they're aiming for 10 contestants again for the 2020 contest. So far, I'm really liking how they're pulling from all different areas of musical performance like you've got stage actors you've got traditional pop stars you've got this mixture of electronic beats and uh indigenous music it's i'm getting very excited for australia's process Mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun this year so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm very excited to see that they are continuing to find a broad range of australian music yes uh speaking of a broad range of music uh estonia has dropped all 24 songs for their final process which happens next year which is nice because that's a lot of songs and that's far enough away where it's nice to just have time to sit down with them and listen to them rather than just kind of experience them in the moment like Mm -hmm. we we have like five minutes to sit down and review them on the other hand i feel like in two months i will forgotten all of them it's just the beginning of the 500 songs that will try to compete at Eurovision yeah, this it's, year. <laughs> it's too much of a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I have, like, I am still working through, like, I've done sort of surface listens of most of them. Uh, two trends that are emerging to me is that, A, I can already spot uh, which national final artists ha- saw last year's entry and were like, yes, I will also write Arcade. Thank you. Mm-hmm. There are a few of those in the mix. Uh, and then... One branch of things that shouldn't surprise me as, oh, yes, let's try that, is I feel like there are a few where the world has seen uh, Lil Nas X and Old Town Road has gone, oh, we can probably try throwing country into this. And sometimes it works. Okay. And other times it's an interesting choice. Okay. Country also worked for Netherlands, so... Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have not had a chance to listen to the Estonian entries yet. So uh, 
I guess it's something to look forward to, question marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, and, uh, I feel like a lot of it, of, of the country-ish things are leaning towards the, the area of, of country I don't like. This year has been a gift because there's been Ken Burns's country music, which has been all about sort of the roots and all of the folky things that kind of become country. Mm-hmm. And then also right now, uh, Dolly Parton's America is doing a great job of just dissecting her appeal and various songs in in cool ways and then there's just modern country and that just does not click with me Mm, yeah well we'll see what clicks with europe i suppose wrapping up the selection process stuff a few countries that are updating their internal selection process uh russia confirmed that they're going to be going internal not a surprise (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's just like they've been doing that since oh goodness were the russian grannies the last one that were public vote that was 2012 yeah I uh, think so. So yeah, like they, they, they have a system that works for them and the system that works for them is we decide. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you will like it. So <laughs> France uh, also confirmed that they will be going internal instead of doing destination Eurovision. Wah, wah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a fun process, but I guess people weren't really watching it. So I'm just thinking when I was watching on Facebook, it'd be like a thousand people. And how many of them were Eurovision bloggers and podcasters? (laughs) (laughs) We need content, dang it. Yeah, it's like it's January. Nobody is doing anything yet. So France just won't get the one-on-one attention that we were able to provide it last year. That's their choice. Oh, well. And then Spain is hoping to have their song selected by the end of January. They were pretty early in selecting uh, for this year's contest. I think that was also in January, but I think that was beginning of January. So they're giving themselves a couple of weeks, which I think was one of the things that we may have suggested with Lavenda. Like, I, I, I yes. think, yeah, where it was just like, oh, if it just came out like two weeks later, they might have been able to maintain a little bit of momentum. But we're influencers now, Mike. Yes, <laughs> we did it. The last item that kind of came up uh, towards the tail end of last week involved Hungary and the reason why they uh, aren't participating in Eurovision in 2020. Uh, the Guardian reported that due to an increase in homophobic rhetoric, that may have been a contributing factor as to why Hungary withdrew this year. In the article, uh, which we'll have linked in our show notes, uh, there was an unnamed pro-government pundit figure uh, who said on television, uh, he referred to the contest as a homosexual flotilla. Now, uh... <laughs> oh, Yeah, I mean, it's just like, on the one hand, I should be offended by that remark. At the same time, if Rotterdam does not have a venue that is a homosexual flotilla, if that is not the theme of the Eurovision village, if I'm not able to get a t-shirt that says that, I will riot. So... Well, yeah, and like we are in, we're going to be in Rotterdam. That's a major shipping port. Yeah. Flotilla is a fleet of ships or boats. If there is not a homosexual flotilla... Yeah, like that 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 is just such brilliant marketing that somebody needs to latch onto. And and it's also just kind of getting into the really colorful ways of describing Eurovision that we seem to be encountering, like the Yeah, cuz like I hit upon one in the in the Elton John biography. Come on, guys. Like you're just you're just printing t-shirts at this point. Yeah, yeah. And then uh there was an article that was referenced in the Guardian article uh from index.hu uh which I uh, is a Hungarian news website, which also referred to unnamed sources uh, citing too gay as a reason for not participating. And uh, eh, yeah. <laughs> Hungary, have you 
Have you just woken up from the contest you've been participating in? It's interesting because Zoltan Kovacs, who is a spokesperson for Prime Minister Viktor Orban, called the reports from these articles uh, fake news. So you know what kind of rhetoric we're dealing with uh, when when that enters a conversation. But I could sort of see it as being like, it's not just because of the gay thing, but the gay thing is part of it as being the reason for withdrawal. Yeah, because I mean, there there are a number of concerns. Like if, if you think about the like Hungarian selection process, I don't recall there ever being a contestant on a doll that would be like coded gay or like flamboyant or anything that kind of fits the Eurovision stereotype, mm-hmm. you might say. And yeah, and the fact that Hungary didn't qualify this year and that the contest is really taking an open up theme. Mm-hmm. If you are a broadcaster that is not a full-on extension of the government but does receive government funding if there's a budget meeting and they're just like well what what do we need to cut from the budget i could see eurovision being on the chopping block if it's not lining Mm -hmm. up with the politics of the of the folks that are uh making those decisions just to go back to what you had said about just thinking over the the hungarian acts i'm looking at the list of them now i'm like yes Mm -hmm. you have yossi papai two years uh you have aws Mm-hmm. who walks that Hatari could soar. <laughs> you have Freddy from a couple years ago. Uh, you have uh, Kedvashem, which was just like some weird indie hipster stuff mm-hmm. getting in the mix randomly. Yeah, just like nothing that that screams homosexual flotilla. Exactly. Yeah, and then just seeing the conversation about this on Twitter, and this was even before this Guardian article came out, which I think happened... It was either last Wednesday or last Thursday. And there was already discussion about how troubling it is that Hungary's mm-hmm. decided uh, not to play along. Right. People kind of drawing comparisons to Turkey. And it's just like, well, you know, it's Thanksgiving. We should talk about Turkey at some point just for the food well, yeah, pun it's, it's, potential. So <laughs> I'm just very pleased that for two years in a row, our Thanksgiving episode has been about Turkey. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, and it, it is something that we kind of hint at in the past is that Turkey has has things where they just don't want to play anymore so it's probably good to kind of dive into that yeah so and this won't be a deep dive like our last few episodes partly because this episode's already going to run a little long and partly because uh, it was thanksgiving and uh, there were the holidays we're busy yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean a quick rundown of like what's going on in turkey uh particularly in the context of eurovision so Turkey started at Eurovision in 1975. They did finish in last place there. Uh, so they took a year off. There was like a, a little bit of retooling, bouncing back and forth, that sort of thing. But all in all, they've been fairly active participants. They won the contest in 2003 with the song Every Way That I Can by Sertab. And up until 2011, they had a perfect grand final attendance record. They were one of only a handful of countries that had never missed the final. In 2010, they were the runners-up. In 2011, uh, their entry Live It Up finished 13th in their semifinal, 
which was not a huge surprise. I thought that entry kind of phoned it in, but their last appearance at the contest was in 2012. Their official reasons for withdrawal can be summed up in this quote from their general manager uh, from their broadcaster, TRT. Uh, And this is from an interview in August of 2018. We don't consider to rejoin the contest. We have reasons like the voting system. As a public broadcaster, we also cannot broadcast live at 9 p.m. when children are still awake. Someone like the bearded Austrian who wore a skirt, do not believe in genders, and says that he is both a man and a woman. That just sort of breaks down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is a direct reference to Conchita winning in 2014. And the fact that this interview, uh, which seems like it's gone through Google Translate, which is why that uh, that quote sounded a little not idiomatic. But they're still mad about Conchita four years later. So that's probably not going to change anytime soon. It kind of points to issues that Turkey has had with Europe as a whole. Originally, they'd expressed their intent to join the EU back in 1987, and they started the formal process of entering the European Union in 2005. Uh, Now, there are 35 chapters or criteria that uh, a country needs to achieve in order to join the EU, and also the other EU members have to give the thumbs up. And things were not going well in that regard pretty much from the get-go. In 2012, Cyprus was uh, holding the presidential seat of the EU. It uh, The presidency rotates from uh, member country to member country. And yeah, when Cyprus had the seat, negotiations just hit the pause button. Mm-hmm. And okay, so this is already a lengthy process and you're just going to shut it down for a year. Okay. There was also an article in Politico from 2012 that was identifying ways that Turkey may be kind of inching towards more of an authoritarian style of government. And this ended up playing out in uh, 2013 when there were crackdowns on protesters and the failed coup that happened in 2016, where uh, it was proposed that the supporters of the coup should be sentenced to death and other human rights issues that the EU does not smile upon. Um, And also within Turkey, support for joining the EU has been dwindling. Uh, And a lot of this coincides with the Erdogan, uh, who is the current leader in Turkey, Mm -hmm. coming to power. The upshot of this is that Turkey has just become increasingly right-wing since Erdogan uh, rose to power. And the liberalism of an event like Eurovision kind of runs counter to that agenda. Exactly. And if it's going to do that, they don't want that on the public broadcaster, certainly. Right. And when your theme is open up, that's probably not going to bring a country that is not interested in opening up uh, to, uh, to yeah, the party. Yeah, whose current theme is, how about no? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to look into with Turkey, but that's more than we're going to be able to tackle in just this one episode. But we yeah. mentioned it uh, because it's kind of similar to what's going on in Hungary. I mean, just kind of going into Hungary's history with Eurovision. Uh, They started in 1993, but there was a pre-qualifying round. If you look on Wikipedia, they describe it as a semifinal, but it was kind of more like a exhibition round. And Eurovision.tv doesn't count it as a participation if you didn't make it out of that round. Hungary didn't make it out of that round. So their 
a first official competition was in 1994, where they finished in fourth place. And that's been their best finish so far. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, it was diminishing returns uh, next few years after that contest. And they ended up taking a break in 1999 and didn't come back until 2005. And when they came back in 2005, it was just kind of a mixed bag of results. And there was another year off in 2006, and then they took another year off in 2010. But when they came back in 2011... They were on a bit of a hot streak. I mean, it wasn't astronomical success, but they managed to qualify for the final every year up until 2018, and they even had three top 10 finishes. Uh, Their best finish in that set was a fifth place in 2014, so Mm -hmm. they were doing some stuff right. Um, But then this year, they finished 12th in the first semifinal. Meanwhile, in terms of like Hungary and Europe, they were at the forefront of the refugee crisis. This coincides with the civil war that was happening in Syria that started in 2015, uh, thereabouts. And, I mean, along with other conflicts, there was just a large influx of refugees trying to find asylum in Europe. And uh, Turkey was actually bearing the brunt of that influx for a while, but eventually traffic was diverted when Turkey was just like, no, we, we can't take in any, any more people. Hungary ended up becoming the next focal point for influx. And a lot of that just has to do with like EU and European border policy. Hungary is a member of the European Union and also a member of an area known as the Schengen area. And it removes border control from the member states. So if you're traveling from, say, Spain to France, you don't have to go through passport control when you're crossing the border. It's just like if you were crossing two states in the United States. It's just easier to move back and forth. There are 26 countries that are members of the Shenzhen area. So, I mean, once you're in, you get to move across most of Europe without too much difficulty. The thing is with Hungary, even though it's a landlocked country, it's a great entry point because it borders several other countries. I think it's eight countries total. Four Mm -hmm. of them are in Shenzhen. And also, Hungary is very inexpensive. For my honeymoon, we spent a little bit of time in Budapest. And yeah, like uh, the dollar goes very, very far in Hungary. And I imagine, and uh, therefore the euro also works very, very well in Hungary. Right, because they're not on the euro. (laughs) Yeah, so makes it a very attractive entry point. They were just kind of getting overrun during this refugee crisis. And Viktor Orban, who's the prime minister of uh, Hungary, was not really satisfied with how the EU was responding to the issue. So it's just like, hey, we need some help here. And they're just like, you'll be fine. You can deal with it. And it's like, that's not great. And the upshot of this is like Hungary's just kind of become increasingly right wing since Orban rose to power and the liberalism of an event like Eurovision kind <laughs> yes, of runs counter to the agenda of his party. I was about to say, so, and once again, we can't have that on the public broadcaster. Right, right. So yeah, there's just a lot of similarities happening between Turkey and Hungary. And when you're using like phrases like fake news to describe anything critical of your organization oh yeah like that immediately just flags something deep within me just that phrase yeah yeah so it's just like all right open up 
it's a challenge to these countries. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't mean like challenge as in it's like, oh, it's something difficult that we have to overcome. I mean, like challenge you to a duel type challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like it, it is pushing their buttons. Yes, yes. So I don't know if this is a bellwether for like future Eurovision participation. Not that that's the most important thing with, mm-hmm. with this topic. It's that it's pointing to what the political nature is in Europe as a whole right now, even though... As we often say, this is not a political contest, but it really highlights what the political climate is. And like, I, if this Brexit thing ever does happen, depending on what the outcome is, we could see something yeah. similar happening there. And it, it, it's... Well, yeah, it's, it's not hard to kind of extrapolate based on the data we have. Right, right. And kind of like watching a slow-moving car crash <laughs> is the only way that I can... Do- oh, yeah, no, like, this is this is not great. Like, particularly from our perspective, because it's like, oh, yeah, like, we are, we're on, a, on the sidelines from a Eurovision context, but we're not on the sidelines from a right-wing dominance context. Yes. It's like, oh, yes. yeah, we kind of know what's going on here. So I promise the next time that I'm taking the lead on the episode, it will be fun. <laughs> That's not going to be like, like a weird downer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, I don't, oh, on the other hand, <laughs> On the other hand, I'm just trying to not say on mic, just like, well, I've seen that dumpster fire before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I love mess.gif. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a far too brief overview of what's going on right now with Turkey and Hungary, but it's framing things in a way that I find it helpful. I'm not sure if other people well, yeah, are going to find it a, helpful. It's a useful framing. Yeah. So ugh. it is a useful framing and. I don't know. It's it's just really kind of disconcerting to see that like there is such a low bar for participating in Eurovision as far as what your what your nation's current politics are. So it's really really sad to see a nation say, "Sorry, that low bar is not something we're willing to clear." Mm-hmm. Perhaps it'll be temporary. That's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find us on our website at EuroWhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at EuroWhat. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe also helps other Eurovision fans find us. If you listen to us on Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist that goes along with this episode. Next time on the Euro What, we'll be putting together our Christmas wish list for 2020. 